chapter 2. It's on the overhead. I'm going to read the word with us standing. I'll pray and then um, we'll give you uh, the message here. All right. So Acts chapter 2, 40 through 47. It says, with many words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. Awesome. Uh, it was awesome to get people baptized here this morning. And, uh, and about 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe as they, uh, many wonders and signs were uh, performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possession to give to anyone in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is alive today, God. As we sang that song, God, the resurrection power of Christ, alive in me, God. We don't want it just alive in other people. We want it alive in us. We ask that the word of God will not just be alive to for other people. We want it alive in us, Lord. I want the word to be alive in me. That it's not just words from a book, but the living, powerful word, which you said you sent your word and healed our disease. Today we ask in Jesus' name, as we break bread and fellowship together in the word of God today, we ask that the word will be active and the word will be alive, touching sick people, touching those that are, are bound by, uh, by, 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 by addiction or anything that hold people back. Uh, sickness, anger. Father, we ask that the word of the Lord will bring life, breathe life into our being, into our spirit, into our soul, O oh God, uh, that we will not be the same after today because your word is active and powerful in us, O oh God. Give us ears to hear. Give us receptive hearts, O oh God. And Lord, we uh, open our hearts to the miraculous possibility that come with your spirit among us, God. We thank you and we honor you. We give you praise today in Jesus' name and help me praise the Lord together. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And amen. Before you're seated, shake a few hands. Say something nice to somebody. Don't be mean. Just say something nice to someone today. Thanks, babe. Fifty-five. All right, three, two, one, pause. You can pause, hit the pause button. And then you can hit the pause button again after we dismiss. And you can continue, all right? But it's so good to be there at the house of the Lord because He is a good God, all right? God is good. And all the time, God is good. What a beautiful passage of scripture. I think when I, whenever I read it, a lot of imaginations come into my mind because sometimes it's so much compacted in one, a few little statements. But you, you, you have to allow yourself to, 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 to picture yourself in that situation and you realize that there was something really supernatural, something really surreal that was going on here. 
It's amazing uh, because prior to this time, if you read the preceding verses, is when the Holy Spirit came to the church for the first time. When the believers were meeting in Jerusalem and the, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, people that used to be afraid, used to be embarrassed to be in, in public life, people that were uh, kind of timid, didn't know themselves, they didn't have an identity. God, when they received the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, it changed them. It changed him. Peter was a great example, who was a guy that was not, was actually very ashamed when he got called out by somebody that he's one of Jesus' disciples. He, he was so embarrassed, he says, leave me alone. I, I don't even know who that person is. Thankfully, Jesus had predicted this will happen, and he kind of pre-warned Peter and says, you would, before the rooster crows, you're going to turn me down. You're going to say, you don't even know me three times. And Peter says, no way. Guess what happened? When he was put on the spot, he did just exactly that. Folks, I tell you, it's very interesting because uh, um, uh, I believe we're living in the last days. I think since the day Jesus left, it's been the last days. So we are in the tail end of the last days, in, in, my, in my opinion, because I've read the scriptures uh, a lot. And all the things that are, they, they say to watch for, how to look for things uh, and to identify um, uh, what the last day looks like, it's exactly what's going on in the world right now. But here's the thing. I always used to think as a kid, I thought, but boy, you know, if it ever got really bad and, and, and people were put on the spot to, to be able to stand for Christ, you know, whether they would turn down knowing Jesus or not, uh, and that, well, that's going to be easy. Most people will say, hey, take my life. But I, I have changed my opinion. I think it'll be a, it'll be a lot harder than people realize. Because it's going to come in places where it really touches life. It's going to come in places where you're like, oh my goodness. You know, uh, it's going to be very convenient to say, I don't know Christ because uh, I don't want to get killed or I do want to buy food. Or it's going to be very convenient and I take, it's going to take someone that's a heart that's really filled with the Holy Spirit to be able to actually have the confidence of knowing in spite of what's going on around my world that I can stand for Jesus Christ, no matter what happens. I can stand with my God because I'm sure of what I have going on inside of me. Okay? It's interesting. that As we read in verse 40, it says that, they, that when Peter was preaching to the crowd, he says, be saved from this perverse generation. So you all think that salvation is a personal thing. It's just for me. No, he's saying, not just be saved for yourself. Be saved from the generation that is corrupted. In other words, you live in the world, but you don't have to play by the world's playbook. God has his own playbook, and that's what we want to play. And he says, if you, can, if you play by God's playbook, you will do just fine. Even though the world gets corrupted, and things get crazy, and people turn against each other. And, and this. When you play by God's playbook, you're going to be just fine. These guys were going in, they were living in a world that was so much against them. The, the social elites of their, of their time were, were outright persecuting them. And here we are reading that the things were going... When you read that picture, it looks like, man, this is a beautiful thing they have going on in here. But the generation, the, the, the world at the time where they live in, they did not like them. The religious elites, they thought that they were lunatics. They thought that they were heresists. They thought that they were preaching some kind of cult or something. They thought they were weird. The other ones are non-believers. Non-believers will always be non-believers. Why wow, it got quiet in this church. And it's really interesting to me 
Because even the church, sometimes we try so much to, to, to look like the world. So maybe, maybe if I look like my friends that don't know the Lord, if I try to act like them, that maybe they might be convinced to be Christians. It's a lie. If they're non-believers, if their hearts are hardened, you stooping down to their level will only derail you, not bring you up or bring them up. It's a lot easier if you're stuck in a hole the person stuck in the hole can pull the guy down in the hole with them a lot easier than the guy that tries to pull someone out of the hole. The gospel, the power of God inside of you as a believer is enough. It doesn't matter. You don't have to try and change and be somebody else. Be who God called you to be and serve God the way God calls you to serve God. Be authentic. Be relational with God. And I tell you, your life will make an impact. You don't have to be like the world to reach the world. That's a lie. From the wrong book. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not think like the world thinks. There is a system. There is a good playbook that God's given us. Amen? So, but they had something going on here in their lives that I believe allowed for the Holy Spirit to move in such a powerful way. And, and uh, what, what the... I think the, the, this, these guys were new believers. Think about that. 3,000 were saved. And then he tells us how they, it happened. They weren't, they weren't saved for 20 years. They didn't know the Bible left and right. In fact, some of the Bible was still being written. See, but God used them. You say, oh, Pastor Saul, I didn't grow up knowing Jesus. Well, I'm just an old man right now, and uh, I'm just starting out with God, you know. Uh, I feel like I left out, and all. I'm, uh, I, 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 I really, I wish I did this when I was young. Yeah, I wish you did it when you were young. Well, I got saved when I was 16, and I wish I got saved when I was two. I felt that way. I thought, oh my gosh, I've wasted my whole life without knowing Jesus. You know, because there's something inside of you. When Jesus comes into your life, you realize, wow, how did I live my whole life? Was my whole 16 years in life without having this personal relationship with this God that loves me, that wants to transform my life. I felt that. Looking back now, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I was a kid. And thank God that he saved me as a kid because I know what happened to a lot of my friends. And I don't want their lies. I can never trade for their lies. Uh, some of them thought I was getting crazy, you know. I'm thinking, wow, geez, he's got no religious now. You know, I always say, you know, picture this. You know, back in the day, every day in church, if you go to church, you have to wear a suit and a tie. 16-year-old with a big Bible, wearing a suit and a tie, and walking in, and your friends are thinking, whatever got into that guy? But yet, you, when, when you look back through the rearview mirror, you say, thank you, Jesus. You caused me to dodge a bullet. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for looking out for my life. Even before I ever knew your voice, you watched over me. I just am so thankful for that. Now, you might say, I'm, I'm, I'm coming in the game late. It's never too late for God. In fact, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you haven't even begun the journey, you can start it today. And it's never too late. As long as you are alive and breathing... God's got a plan for your life, and your life means something, and you can make an impact in people's lives. So they said they went on, and people were getting saved because they were watching how they were living together here. They had something going on for their lives there that many believers don't get to, re to experience these days. And one of the things that, one of the core things that I want to pull out that, uh, in that passage that I believe 
um, um, was a key to letting God move in their lives is that they were connected. Say that with me. Connected. They were so connected to God. They were so connected to each other. They looked like they built a little community that kind of exploded. Uh, and, and they were authentic and simplicity. There was no complication here. It says that, 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 they, they, that, it says that they ate their food together with, uh, with ga- gladness. And what did it say? Did it say simplicity of heart? Or am I saying that? With sincere heart. You know, they weren't trying to make out some programs. This thing was not built. They were so successful. The early church was so successful and it had nothing to do with programs. It had everything to do with relationships. It had everything to do with relationships. Why were relationships so powerful? Well, because God wired us that way. We were not created to be long rangers, superheroes. Uh, one kid was asked, hey, what do you want to grow up to be? He said, I want to be a superhero. Awesome. I love kids for that. But you know, we, we were created for one another. God looked at man when he created one person on the planet. He says, sheesh, it's not good for man to be alone. That's what God saying. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for humans to be alone. Because I'm going to make helper. I'm going to make him a helper. You know, because he made us for relationship. Why? Because God is a relational God. One God expressing three persons to kind of show us how relationships work. It says that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, indivisible. They're one, inseparable, but yet they're one. Help us to kind of see how he himself look at himself. And says he's a relational God. Because if he wasn't a relational God, like I always say, he would have made us like robots to, and program us to exactly never make any error and do exactly what, everything that he wants us to do. He's God. He can do that. He can program us to always do the right thing. And it will be awesome. I am solo and I love. Uh, no, I can't love. I am solo and I would do what God asked me to do. I would never make a mistake. Whatever. He would do that. He's able to do that. But he didn't. Why? Because we, to respond to him, we have to respond to him in love. Without, without, without that choice of relationship, there is no such thing as God. He's a God. He says, the Bible says that God is love. And love is a choice. And love is relational. See, he's not so much interested in us doing right. As having a, I was going to say it's not a debate, but just a, a very heavy conversation with a child that was very curious. Child was in trouble and could not uh, understand why dad would not let him off the hook with the consequences of the choice that we pre-talked about. Because, well, but why, and he's a very, he's a, he's a thinker, which I love. Because I was like that as a child, and I got in trouble a lot for, for my curiosity. But it's great, we had some real good conversations. And the thing is like, wow, why, he asked me, why, why wouldn't God um, uh, just not make him so that they wouldn't sin, Adam and Eve? Like, well, that's a very good question. I, I, I'm glad that you even thought about that. And it was the same answer I'm telling you, you guys. And we had the conversation. It's like, guess, guess what? If that was the case, there would not be such a thing called love. You would never know what that word or what love really is. We know we want love. It feels good to be loved. 
He's like, oh, no, I don't care. I'm all, no, you're right. You like people that love you because it feels good. When they love what you do, when they love your laughter, when they love your weird sense of humor, when you like it when they like you. That would be an emotion absolutely unknown to us had God programmed us that way. Are you at least tracking me there? And so everything that we get in God also has to go through that avenue of relationship. And relationships are choices. It's just like marriage. It's a choice. You're excited when you first meet. You're like, wow, it's so awesome. They're the best, most beautiful woman I've ever met. Oh my, everything about them makes me laugh. Awesome. I feel good just thinking about them. Ten years later, marriage counseling. Whatever happened? Well, we could put in work in it. We keep making the right choice. We keep appreciating that because when you appreciate and value it, it gets better. Not that there won't be conflict, but conflict helps us grow when you actually overcome. You get promoted to another stage and another stage. That's how God works. That's the way he works with us. So everything we learn, everything we ever draw from God will actually go through that vehicle, that channel of relationship. We've got to get that right. It's not programs. That's what makes... Christianity, when we understand it right, different than any other religion. Because it's really not even a religion. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. And some people mistake thinking that it's all about a relationship with God. If I'm just good with God, just me and God and nobody. That is, sorry to tell you, it's not even biblically accurate. It's not just your relationship with God. It's your relationship with God and with other believers. Christianity was never just a personal relationship. You read through the book of Acts, you'll see when people got saved, they were tied to another, they were tied to a community. They were tied to another individual that helped them disciple. It's relationship. It's so much so that businesses are figuring out, and the ones that have figured out that the key thing is relationship, they have an edge over their competitors. When they start thinking, oh, oh, it's not product, 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 product. Realize you can have the best product in the world and still not be the best. We could have the similar products, but the guy that masters relationship better. The guy that masters customer service better. The guy that makes people realize that, that, that loyalty, customer, they will, do, they will continue on with business long after the inventors are gone. Other people maybe that even have better technology are gone. Why? Businesses are recognizing that we were built for relationships. And so what they're going to do is try to create that um, feeling that they care for you. Whether it's sincere or not, if they achieve that, that they know they've got you. They know they've got, they've got an edge on their competitor. It's always through relationship. Think about Facebook. Why did Facebook go, go, go so crazy? They, they did well. They've done well. And they continue to do well. Well, they tapped into that same thing that God put in us. That people like to connect. Even the people that say, oh, I'm not a people person. Well, they still like to connect. If anything, they might not care about you, but they want you to care about them. 
It's like that awkward moment when you meet with someone in a hallway and you start talking. And they tell you everything there is to know about them. And they never ask you one question about yourself. You're like, wow. That was epic. <laughs> because it goes both, both ways. So people at least want to, uh, to talk about themselves. They want people to take an interest and recognize. Even if they are mean, they want you to uh, celebrate their meanness, you know. So, <laughs> you know, I, I was looking in Facebook in their mission statement. They say, our mission is to make the world more open and connected. So if they stay with that mantra, they are doing their job. They want people to be more open and connected. That's on their mission statement. And then they have like five different things that they say how they achieve that. But you go to some places. I've gone to places in Kenya in the middle of nowhere. With a Maasai, they have a cell phone, of course. And they're connected on Facebook. But they live in Maasai Mara. They're getting it done. Thinking about maybe if you, the best job you've ever had or something. Most of the times, it's someone you know that got you there, or at least recommend and say, hey, if they know this person, then they must be okay. Why? Relationships. Why? God made us that way. Quit hating people. Start loving people. Things will be better for you. You'll find out. And the early church got that right. I don't know if it happened organically, or if they were taught that way. It does say from what we read that they were devoted to the apostles' teachings. You know, when you think about that, I think, the apostles probably were strategic about that. And, you know, well, with the help of the Holy Spirit, they were able to teach because they were devoted to the teaching because it says they met daily. They met daily in homes. They met daily in the temple. And it says as they went on, let me read that part again just in case you missed it. He said, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at many wonders and signs were being performed by the apostles. And all the believers had everything in common. Verse, uh, go down to, to, to uh, verse uh, 46. He says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor, enjoying the goodwill of other people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who are being saved. They are seeing not only miracles happening in the church, people were getting saved. Even though this world out there was hostile towards Christians. And they want the majority religion in the world. We are the majority religion in the world by classification. They were a minutia, a little group of people starting out in Jerusalem, and they would change the entire world. In a hundred years, the, the whole world would be rich without the, 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 without the advantage of, of modern-day technology where you could communicate so quickly with people. They didn't have any of that, but the, it shows you the power of relationship because they did that, and they saw God do miracles, and they impacted the whole world. When people in those days, more, majority of people had not traveled more than 30 miles outside of their village. Yet, Africa, Europe, Asia, Middle East was impacted by Christianity. And where Christianity went, it left a positive impact. Countries that actually grabbed on it first have an advantage to this day. 
And some of them are actually putting it away. And some that were in the ducks are becoming more and more. And things will shift. Because where Christ goes, where Christ is lifted, good things happen. Good things happen. A lot of the things that we enjoy today, freedom, that we love, we see other people that live in oppression. They might prosper. They might even have more money than we do. But if they don't have freedom in their lives, they're like, it's still, oh, forget your money. I'd rather be poor and be free. You don't have, you know, you go to the Middle East, you can feel that uh, uh, oppression. Well, some of those guys have a lot of oil money, I'm telling you. Well, you, go, you have kids, you, you talk about a tax refund, they give you good money. But you feel there's a sense of oppression. More so after uh, women. <laughs> Religion of peace, all right. Try to go to Middle East as a woman. You will feel that you don't have the same freedom that everybody else. And it's like, you know what? Keep your money. And the change too. I'll give you some of mine too. But I'd rather have my freedom. Why do you think we have that? Christianity has made an impact. Well, Christianity has made an impact. People enjoy a different kind of life. And it's unfortunate some of the countries that actually grabbed a hold of Christianity earlier are actually thinking it's a joke. Why? Because of dead religion. It's never died. It's still alive. It's still alive today and we can tap into that source if we only would just follow God by his playbook. Relationship is the key. You know, um, um, I was thinking the other day, and I've kind of used this illustration before, but I thought it's kind of really cool to, 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 to use. I got my blocks here. You know, when, when, you are, when you have little children at home, it's amazing the things that you think about in life. Or maybe... I could have had another illustration with um, some more cool stuff, more technology, but these things are timeless, aren't they? <laughs> Although they're annoying sometimes when you wake up in the middle of the night and you don't want to turn the light on and run to the bathroom and, oh, I stepped on something, you know? The tiny little things, you know? So those things happen. But for the most part, you know, <laughs> you could have Xbox 360 or whatever, but these things are timeless and they do work. And I also feel like it gives us a really good picture of how God designed us to work. Because, you know, you, if you open any box of Legos, I know these are not name brand, so that's, it's a knockoff. So go, go with me, though, a little bit. Um, uh, but if you open every box, you will find <laughs> different shapes, different, different sizes, you know. You can find different colors, you know. You can, oh, who, who wants to play? You find all sorts of uh, Legos, but uh, and they're just like scattered. You know, you give them. This is how they normally look at my house. Isn't they? They're never that organized, you know. But you can find just about any kind of piece in there. And the beauty of it is that you can build just about anything with them. You know, I remember we took the kids to the Lego store in Chicago. And I was just standing there like, whoa, the stuff that they build with Legos and all that is really cool, you know. Um, I could build a church. But, but, but the, 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 what, what, what's cool, and the ability, it has its ability to make all sorts of things because it's designed with a purpose. And, and it's designed with a purpose, and the purpose is to connect, Scattered, it's nothing. You know what I mean? When it's scattered, it's nothing, really. 
But some people, like Pam, are very creative. They see things. Uh, Bruce, I know some people are really creative. That was just not a gift that God gave me. I lack in that department a little bit. But, but, but when they are connected, when they fulfill their purpose and they're connected, you can create really good things. You can make something really beautiful out of it. You can build houses and cars and spaceships. And go to the moon and back. It's amazing. You can do all sorts of things. When they do their purpose. And that was to connect. They're designed to connect on the top and to connect on the bottom. And beautiful things can be created because of that. They're in different sizes. They're in different shapes. Some are tall. Some are dark. Some are light. I thought it's like a really good picture of how God made us. You know, I also when people think, Oh, well, God is colorblind. No, God is not colorblind. He created the colors. He sees all the diversity in there. We're all people created different shapes and sizes. Don't try to be the guy in Hollywood's shape. Just get your best shape, but not be their best shape. You know what I mean? Different colors. Be okay with who you were. But we're all designed to connect. First of all, connect on top with God. And then connect on the bottom. With other believers, right? With other people. And we can bring our history, our differences, our diversity, our political opinions, which seem sometimes to be even more important than religion to some people. We can come with all sorts of differences. I grew up rich, I grew up poor, I'm educated, I'm uh, not educated. I'm smart, not so smart, you know. But join together with that same purpose. Always keeping that priority of being connected to God. Making sure that you're connected with other believers, moving in the right direction. We can make something beautiful. That's how God did it. Beautiful things can come out of that community. And I love Lincoln City Church. I really do. Because even if you look around, you can see all sorts of diversity here. So something that we try to make, I think if we follow the book slowly and do it just, and just be authentic and simple... It's natural because God created us that way. God created us that way. As long as we are connected, beautiful things happen. Can I, amen? God designed us that way. And uh, when I see the early church, I covet the day that that would be the now church. I'm like, God, I want this. I want this right now because when we, if we had that right now, we wouldn't have to have loudspeakers to preach out there. How we live, how we walk with each other would be the biggest, best sermon ever preached because people will be added to the church daily that are being saved because people out there are looking for something real. They don't want my religion. They don't want my opinions. Are you authentic? Is God real? Or is it just something we do? Church is not just something they did or went to. It's who they were. They were built together. Why? They tapped into something that God had already ingrained deep in our DNA. And so when we try to do it in our own ways, it's not as successful. And guess what? It's not as complex as we want to make it sometimes. I found more and more, and I'm learning this more and more in my own personal life, I'm learning this more and more that the ways of God are a lot more simple 
than I ever tried to make of them. If you want faith, simple faith. Since you want to follow Christ, look at little children. It's like, sometimes it's hard to be simple. Because we'll think, what am I going to What? I'm trying to figure out the ten steps. And master them. And be the master of the ten. And be the... And then I can, Sometimes it's a lot more simple than we try to make it. And it's in the simplicity of life that we find beauty. It's in the simplicity that we actually even excel. As I highlighted Facebook, it was a simple idea. <laughs> and look what they did. Isn't it ironic, though, that even in the light of everything that's going on, with all the technology we have, the ability to connect like, and to network like never before, yet people have become less and less connected in a real kind of life. So because those things are not bad, they're actually good and bad in the, same, in the same context, you know. So because they give us an ability to communicate in the way that we would have never been able to communicate. Having grown up in Kenya like, and, and moving here as a young person, you know, there's a lot of people that I lost connection with. And I was like, huh, I remember that guy. You know, some, you know so it's kind of interesting. You know, so it's kind of cool sometimes. But it also can be a big waste of time and not really have real relationship to supplement with that. It's a lot like, think about it, it's a lot like calculators. If you use your math all the time with a calculator, the next time you want to add $2 and $5 and you're so used to using a calculator, guess what? You're going to pull it up and add 2 plus 5. You're laughing at me and you know it's true. You use your GPS. We used to travel the whole country, get to different, a hole someplace out in the middle of the wild, wild west, and you'll make it there with a map and some little direction, and you make it. Now you can't go to the mall without a GPS. You'll get lost. It's the same thing, though. We have all this social media, and it's good on the surface, but we forget how to actually relate to people. And when we and we need to just take a step back and, and start learning that art of relationship. Because our faith, our strength, our growth as believers, if you want to be strong in the Lord, if you want to fulfill your purpose in the Lord, you have to go back to that art again. Because that's how our Creator programmed us. And when we tapped into that, our spiritual growth is dependent on it. Forget the spiritual growth. Your life. Your business. You think you're going to go somewhere? You have a passion for art, a book, whatever it is that you want to do. You're gifted to do. It's never going to go anywhere if you never master relationships. 80% of most successful businesses is on relationship, not the program, not the innovation. It's people that can really touch people and make a change in their lives. And the results is good business. I don't want a realtor that doesn't know how to connect. Meet him the first time. If they can't connect with me and him, I'm done. We know that. You go to a store and they treat you bad. You never go back. Well, some of you do because you do that to other people. Jeez, I just said that at church. No, but uh, it's true, though. It's like um, it, it makes an actual impact in everything in life. But more so, as believers, we need each other. 
Look at a person next to you and say, I need you and you need me. And if it's your spouse telling me you really, really need me. Forty-two, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the word of God, to fellowship. They had fun. They enjoyed each other's company. They were devoted to prayer. Forty-six, he says, they ate their food together with glad and sincere hearts. Forty-seven, they were praising God. And as those things were going on in their lives, says people, they had favor with the outside world, and the Lord continued to add to them, those that were being saved. They learned the word together. They prayed together. They ate together. They had fun together. They praised God together. They shared their lives together. And they grew stronger and stronger in relationship with God and with other believers. That even though they lived in an environment where Christians were absolutely just outright persecuted and discriminated by the elites of the society at the time, their love for each other was authentic, simple, sincere. It got even non-believing friends and families to admire what they had going on in their lives. And because of that kind of atmosphere, the Holy Spirit can move. And miracles were a part of the church every single day. What I described to you folks today, I described to you small groups. When we talk about small groups at Lincoln City Church, when we say get connected through small groups, we don't want to add a program in your life. Trust me. I'm a pastor. It's a full-time job by itself. I'm, I'm raising eight little children. Old as is 13. Homeschooling. Doing all that. I run a business helping people with their finances. I do all that. Guess what? I'm still involved in small group. Because I have time. The last I check, I know. My, I have Less time than the average Joe. But why do I make it so important in my life? Because I recognize the biblical truth about this. 21 years ago, a friend of mine, we were playing basketball. His name was Jeff. Playing basketball. And they say, hey, we're going to cut it off right now. I'm gonna go play. We're going to go to a small, call a small group. We're going to go to a cell group. I'm thinking, what kind of thing is cell group? And the name sounded cool. And I wanted in on it. So I was like, hey, what's, what's this about? You know, and they wouldn't tell me, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah you know, uh, yeah, you know. So that's like what many Christians do. They don't want to, they are Christians in the closet. They haven't come out of the closet, but they're Christians. So they didn't really give me a straight answer, but it just sounded cool. It says, I mean, cell group, is it like in a jail cell? This is kind of interesting. That's what's going on in my mind. I said, can I come? And I was like, oh, well, I guess, I, I guess, I guess you could come, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I followed them to cell group. And what it ended up being, it was a group of believers in a neighborhood. They met every Thursday, 6.30, had some dessert, had some fun. They talked. They opened the Bible together. They, they shared. And there was just such a simplicity and authenticity in that group. I wasn't saved. I was living... Uh, Kind of rebellious life as a teenager at that time. Because I wanted to be cool. And I was cool. Oh, ask my friends. Ask my brother. I was cool. But I just kept coming. I was like, so every Thursday, I just kept going. 
every Thursday. Hmm. And um, once I say, hey, you know, next week we're doing like a picnic at the park that was near our neighborhood there. I was like, uh, so they were play some games there. I was just having fun together and stuff. I'm thinking, wow, Christians aren't that weird after all. And actually, they can have a lot of fun without alcohol. They can still have a great time, actually a better time. Because sometimes we want to supplement even fun. And I was like, huh. I had not been in church for like two or three years. And I was like, oh, yes. So when everybody was going home, they were like, uh, well, we'll see a church tomorrow. And I knew I'm not going to church tomorrow. That was not in my plan. I was going to do some things that night. And church was too early. And I said, well, maybe I should go to church here. And I went to church. And it was the beginning of the change of my life. 20 years, 21 years later, in three weeks. Still remember to the day because it was that group that changed me and touched me. And it wasn't some religious group. In that group, I remember the guy that led it was Tom Bosier, was a doctor. His wife was a doctor. Some kids that were unemployed. It was a mix of everybody. But it helped me to see Christian love because it wasn't like, well, let's get all the doctors here. Let's get all the lawyers here. Let's get all the plumbers there. Let's get all the so-and-so here. No, no, no. It was just one authentic community of all kinds of people. I was like, wow, these people. <laughs> it's true, though. 